May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. This week, we stared in horror at our televisions and newspapers, on the Internet, the blogosphere, wherever you get your news, together with billions of people around the world, as we saw how three young women um, miraculously escaped a decade of imprisonment, having been kidnapped in Cleveland and held in a West Side home. The events were as sickening as they were unthinkable, and questions that came to our minds like, How in the world could anyone do such a thing to children? How could these young women have found such courage to survive so long? What sort of inner strength must they have had? And of course, how will they ever put their lives back together again? In a little while, we'll go to prayer for the church and for the world as we do every Sunday. And I ask you to do what I'm sure you would already have done anyway, and that is to make sure that you remember these young women in your prayers You continue to pray for their families, not just this day, but for many days, as um, the pain and the the difficulty of putting their lives together will will linger for many years, long after television cameras go away, long after they cease to be front of the front page news. But I could not help to notice how the stories that I read in the newspaper and saw on television had such a strange juxtaposition to the story that we read in the book of Acts just a few moments ago. Stories of imprisonment and being set free. Um, stories of, uh, uh, of exploitation of a young girl in the story in, in Acts. How, um, how there were these constant similarities, and yet they're not the same story. I mean, and I don't mean to, to say that they are. I just mean to say that there are some things that are strangely similar. Like imprisonment, like physical cruelty, like exploitation, like... Um, deliverance, and at the end of the story, a demand for justice. All of these, these same sort of themes are there, and I point them out for one reason in particular. You're clever enough to have gotten them anyway. So if I didn't mention them, you were already going to ask me on the way out the door, but Joe, what about this? So we'll cut to the chase and save you the trouble. But the, there are simile, similarities, and yet there are differences. The closest similarity, though, that I find in both of these stories is this, that in both cases, people were faced with sheer, unabashed evil. I mean, that's what it was, wasn't it? It was evil, and it doesn't matter um, what faith tradition you would come from. You would look at these situations and say, these are desperately wicked human beings. And that's the conflict we face in life, isn't it? How can we live in a world where there is such evil that is constantly present? Some people have called this man in Cleveland an animal. I think that's unfair to animals, don't you? I mean, this is, this is not what animals do to one another. This is monstrous. It's demonic. This is an evil far worse than anything that we see in the animal kingdom. And yet... We're constantly faced with evil. This is nothing new, is it? This is the story that we've been reading about on te- uh, in our newspapers, we've been seeing on television for as long as perhaps we can remember. And if I took you back into the annals of history, I could even give you more stories. I could take you back to Antiochus Epiphanes, 200 years before the birth of Jesus, who, who brought such terrible atrocities upon people um, that are unspeakable, really. 
Tiglath-Pileser III. This was a, a warrior king who, who tried to vanquish his opponents by humiliating them to the worst degree. He would go in and destroy a city, take the city's king, take these big hooks like meat hooks, put them through the arms of the king, and drag him through the city streets while he was on a horse with a rope tied to this man. Or what about Adolf Hitler? Saddam Hussein, Idi Amin, Charles Manson. What about the events of September the 11th? You know, I don't have to go very long and pretty soon everybody's, wow, you know, there's a lot of things going on, right? In Boston, a few weeks ago, two women, a little child, murdered for no reason, just pure evil. And so people of all faiths and people of no faith have looked at these events and they have said the same thing. They're evil. These are actions of, these are evil actions. And and see, this is what happens then. So you have two ways to go from this, don't you? Some people look at these evil actions and they say to themselves, if there is a God, how can there be such evil in the world? And as much as I disagree with them, that is actually a reasonable response. The only problem with that response is this. If you allow that these are evil actions, if you allow that the ones that I've just mentioned are evil, then you've opened up the door to moral categories, the categories of good and evil. And if there is good and evil in the world, then there is a moral universe that we live in. And if there is a moral universe, there must be a moral lawgiver. And so you can't get very far away with that argument, can you? Which is why other people, people like us, have looked at the same situations and said, how shall we ever be saved from this? Where's our hope? Where's the hope for humanity? And that, that is found in the same story that was just read just a moment ago from the book of Acts. There are three parts to the narrative that that was read. The first is um, Paul and Silas and Luke are on this European mission. The very first missionaries, the very first Christians ever to go into the European continent And this is like early in the phase, first few days of this missionary work. Paul and Silas and Luke are walking through town. They're on their way to the riverside where Jews meet for a place of prayer. And as they're going through, they've been repeatedly day after day harassed by this young girl. This young girl who is possessed by a spirit called the spirit of Python. It's where we get the word python for a snake. It's, um, it's this uh, belief in the, this, in the ancient world that, that this, this sort of serpent spirit could give a person uh, the gift of clairvoyance. And so there's a slave girl, get this, slave girl, who's being held by her captors, used and exploited as a means of financial gain, using her to sort of tell people's fortunes. She's been harassing them day after day, and Paul eventually turns around and he casts out this demon in the name of Jesus. And she's set free. You can see that that captivity, deliverance theme right there. And so she's set free, but this only agitates her owners, who now can no longer exploit her and make money off of her. Which moves you into the second part of the narrative. They're so angry that they stir up a, a, a riot against Paul and Silas. They accuse them of being Jews. Nothing like getting a riot started like a little good old-fashioned anti-Semitism. And then they, they use other sorts of slurs, you know, that they're, they're teaching other forms of religion. They're, they're destroying our traditions. You know, they're getting everybody involved in the mix, right? And, and, and it works. Paul and Silas 
are, are grabbed by the mob. They're stripped of their clothes and beaten with rods. Beaten so badly that they are, they are bloodied from this. And then, of course, thrown into jail. Again, we have free people who are imprisoning others. And so they're in jail, and, and that sort of leads to the third section of the narrative, which is by nightfall, night is coming in, and, and uh, people are going to sleep all around. And yet Paul and Silas do something that you just don't expect. Chapter 16, verse 24. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They were beaten. They were insulted and assaulted, right? They were, they were drugged through the city streets. They were thrown in prison. Luke says they had, they had stocks put around their feet so that they couldn't move. I don't know about you, but if I work a hard day in the yard, I mean, and I wake up about midnight, it sounds like this. Oh, Abby, give me an ibuprofen. You know, I can't move. Um, and I complain about it. I've got this terrible elbow problem. You know, I have tennis elbow and I don't even play tennis. And, um, and I complain about it. And these guys, in the middle of the night, they're not complaining. They're not whining. They're not commiserating. They're praising God, aren't they? They're singing hymns to God and praying, and people are listening. I'll bet they are. (laughs) What are these guys doing? The story ends sort of dramatically there, that third part of the narrative. I think right in the third verse of, Oh, hail the power of Jesus' name, or whatever it was they were singing, there's an earthquake. The door falls off its hinges. The rod that holds the shackles is crushed. And they could walk right out if they wanted to. Still dealing with this enslavement and uh, freedom kind of motif. And the jailer, he's terrified. He runs in. If, If these people escape, he gets the death penalty. He's supposed to be watching them. And he runs up there thinking for sure they're dead. And so to save himself the dishonor, he takes his sword. He's about to kill him. And Paul yells out, no, don't do that. We're still in here. We're fine. They didn't even run away when they had an opportunity. Verse 29, and the jailer called for lights. He rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. He's so shocked. Listen to what he says. He brought him out and he said this, Sirs, what do I have to do to be saved? What a fantastic question to ask. What a great question to ask, right? What do I have to do to be saved? Now listen to me. Don't rush ahead. Don't, don't put words in his mouth and make him say, he has never met a Christian in his life. This man has never read the Bible. He knows nothing about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He probably knows very, very little about Jews. And what he knows is probably not positive. He is more ignorant of the story of the Bible than any person you or I have ever met. He is not asking, what do I have to do to go to heaven when I die? That is not what he's asking. Don't put that on his lips, because it's not what he's saying. He says, what do I have to do? What thing am I required to do in order that I might find deliverance? See, here's what I think. I think the jailer lived really close to the jail. And that makes sense. He probably did. And I think he went home that night, and he was sitting on his porch, drinking a pint of whatever jailers drink at night as they're sitting out on their porch. And... He's looking at the stars or whatever he's doing, and he hears something he doesn't expect to hear. I mean, he's probably heard lots of crying by grown men, right? He's probably heard lots of complaining. He's probably heard lots of swearing. 
Oh, I never heard that word before. He maybe wrote it down. He's heard a lot of these sorts of things, you know. But I'll bet he's never heard someone singing in the jail. I bet he never heard someone praising God in jail, in stocks, having been beaten. And so when the earthquake comes, I mean, I think he knows exactly what's going on. That God has been involved in this. This is a miracle. He wants in on it. You see, I think he realizes this. Not that he needs to go to heaven when he dies. I'm sure he probably hopes that happens. I, I don't think he thinks I need whatever it is. I don't think he wants religion. I think he thinks that there's something inside his life that is such a gaping hole. Something that's so important, so essential to his life and well-being, and it's missing A little theology 101, evil is not a thing. Evil is the absence of good. And I think he looks at himself and he says, you know what, these guys, these guys in the jailhouse, they've got something I don't and something I desperately want. We live in a world filled with evil. It's destructive and violent, horrid, dark, hateful. All forms of it, you don't have to go very far at all before it jumps out and hits you right in the face, do you? And after centuries, centuries of human existence, it continues to shock us. It continues to to amaze us. How can people be so awful? And it continues to enslave our world, and we can't get rid of it. Not with legislation, not with manipulation, Not with education. I think I'm breaking into a little Al Sharpton here. We can't get rid of it with any of those. I thought that was funny. We can't get rid of it with any of the ways that we try. We have had the most educated century in the last 100 years of human history. We have been the most educated people ever set upon the face of the planet Earth in the last century. And we have been the most violent, the most destructive people ever upon the face of the planet as well. Not we, but you understand. Humanity in general. Every time humanity finds some new thing, they find a new way to hurt and kill one another. What is the hope for humanity? Only this. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That's not just our hope. That's not just a hope for Holy Trinity. It's the hope for the entire world. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.